opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hello car fanatics in Irvine, Orange County, California, the United States, and around the world. It's time for the most famous words in motorsport. Drivers, start your this week on Speedway Sounds. I'll jump all across the motorsports world and bring you updates from the automotive industry, FIA Formula E, and the NASCAR playoffs, as well as a new segment analyzing the future of motorsport. In the second half of today's show, Tristan Cortez will give a rundown of the Malaysian Grand Prix in Formula One with a preview of this weekend's race in Japan. Lastly, I'll preview this weekend's local car events and the 20th anniversary Petit Le Mans 10-hour sports car race this weekend in which UCI Aerospace Engineering student Matt McMurray will be competing. All that and more this week on Speedway Sounds. Hello, hello. And for the first time on this show, good morning and happy Thursday. Welcome to Series 4 of Speedway Sounds at its new Thursday, 9.30 a.m., day and time. And for those of you listening for the first time, I'm your host, Noah Stein. I'm a second-year mechanical engineering student and a 10-year fan of motorsports looking to bring racing news and features onto local airwaves. This show specifically focuses on cars, car culture, and motorsport here at UC Irvine in Orange County and in Southern California, while also talking about lesser yet spectacular forms of motorsport. So first up, FIA Formula E. Formula E is the only international championship for electric single-seater race cars. Season 3 concluded in July at the Montreal E-Prix, where Lucas Degrassi pulled off a spectacular upset on defending champion Sebastian Buemi to win the Drivers' Championship. The Renault E-Dam squad successfully defended its team's championship there as well. Since then, a flurry of driver changes have been announced. I'll go through each of the 10 teams. Audi Sport, App Schaeffler, and Renault E-Dams, the top two teams in the series, each retained their drivers, which are the same drivers that started with both teams in Season 1 in 2014. For Audi, Lucas Degrassi and Daniel Apt, and for Renault, Sebastian Buemi and Nico Prost. Third place in the championship last season was Mahindra Racing, and they chose also to retain both Felix Rosenquist and Nick Heidfeld. Fourth place, DS Virgin Racing released Jose Maria Lopez and replaced him with Alex Lynn who had driven Maria Lopez's car at the New York City E-Prix this past year, but they retained Sam Bird in the second car. Fifth place, Tachita signed World Endurance Championship star Andre Lauderer full-time to replace the part-time rotation of Ma King Ha, Esteban Gutierrez, and Stefan Sarazen. The sixth-place NEO team, spelled N-I-O, lost their Season 1 championship-winning driver Nelson Piquet Jr. to a performance clause, and replaced him with former IndyCar and Formula 2 driver Luca Filippi. The 7th place Andretti Autosports team from the United States will retain Antonio Felix da Costa 
but the second car is still to be determined. Eighth place Dragon Racing, also an American team, will retain Jerome D'Ambrosio, but will replace Loic Duval with World Endurance Championship driver Neil Yanni. Ninth place Venturi Motorsports has not yet announced its drivers, while last place Jaguar has hired Nelson Piquet Jr. to replace Adam Carroll, and they also retained Mitch Evans. Those are the official driver announcements, but some teams wanted to wait until the preseason test in Valencia, which is taking place right now. Eduardo Mortara, who finished second in points in DTM, Germany's touring car championship last year, tested the Venturi number no. 5 car. He'll be competing for a seat this season against James Rossiter from Japan's Super GT Championship. Season 3 Venturi driver Mauro Engel and 17-year-old Michael Banyaya from Formula Renault 2.0. That's quite the talent pool that Venturi can select from for its two cars. Trying to earn the second Andretti seat at the test is Tom Bloomquist, who is also from DTM. Bloomquist is expected to get the seat because of Andretti's upcoming partnership with BMW, which is also the manufacturer Bloomquist already drives for in DTM. BMW GT and Andretti development driver Alexander Sims will also get time in the car. Further, Daniel Yunkadella will try for the Mahindra team's reserve driver position. Also, Canadian Patrick Carpanier, who used to drive an IndyCar and NASCAR, was invited by Formula E CEO Alejandro Agag to attest the private race car as a thank you gift for promoting the first race in his home country in Montreal, Canada. And former Formula One driver Rio Harianto also got to test the private Formula E car, which was his first drive in any racing car since the 2016 Abu Dhabi Grand Prix when Manor Racing was shut down. The first race for Season 4 of the FIA Formula E Championship is the doubleheader in Hong Kong, China, beginning December 2nd, and the full calendar will include races at Marrakesh, Morocco, Mexico City, Sao Paulo, Rome, Paris, Berlin, Zurich, New York City, and Montreal. Now on to news from the NASCAR playoffs. The Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series cut four drivers from its playoff field at the Apache Warrior 400 at the Dover International Speedway on Sunday, shrinking the field of championship contenders from 16 to 12. The big storylines of the race were Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s resurgence and Ricky Stenhouse Jr.'s crazy good luck to keep him in the playoffs. First, Dover's retirement present to Earnhardt, who is in his final season as a full-time Cub driver, commemorated his only win at Dover International Speedway just two weeks after the September 11, 2001 attacks, after which he carried an American flag in his car around the track in his victory celebration, one of the most patriotic moments in NASCAR's history. Then he was fast in practice and qualified seventh. In the whole race, he ran unusually well in the Hendrick Motorsports number 88 Chevrolet throughout the whole race and earned his fifth top 10 finish of the year with a seventh place run. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was in deep trouble in terms of keeping championship hopes alive when he crashed at both Chicagoland and New Hampshire. The number 17 Roush Fenway Racing Ford team's only chance to earn enough points to make it through the next round would be if they earned stage points for finishing in the top 10 in either stage one or two. So Stenhouse's team decided to leave him out on the track while everyone else made pit stops under the green flag, hoping to trap his playoff competitors one or more laps down. And sure enough, as Jeffrey Earnhardt crashed his number 33 into the pit lane entrance sand barrels, Stenhouse suddenly found himself in the top 10 and was able to pit under caution while his rivals stayed one lap down and out of contention for stage points. Stenhouse finished lap 120 in fourth, 
to claim seven points from the first stage. He held on for a 19th place finish at the end of the 400-mile race, beating 13th place Ryan Newman by just two points or two positions on the racetrack to advance to the round of 12. It's just another scenario where a gutsy strategy call early in the race changed the championship picture due to the implementation of stage points this year. The race win came down to the final green flag run. Chase Elliott made his way to the front of the field with great car speed and fast pit stops as well as a Kyle Larson penalty and led the way towards the finish until poor navigation through lap traffic erased his four-second lead over a hard-charging and championship-hungry Kyle Busch. Even though he won last weekend in New Hampshire to lock himself into the round of 12, a win at Dover would give him five more playoff points to help him battle with the playoff frontrunners Martin Truex Jr. and Kyle Larson, as well as keeping Chase Elliott from gaining momentum into the next round. So with two laps to go, Kyle Busch set up the pass on the outside into turn three and held his speed all the way through the corner. Chase Elliott had very little to defend with and was forced to settle for second even though he was less than 40 seconds from his first Cup Series win. With the second win of the playoffs and the points reset heading into round two, Kyle Busch is now ahead of Dover Stage 2 winner Kyle Larson and only 18 points behind Martin Truex Jr. So the drivers still in championship contention are Truex, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Brad Keselowski, who by the way won Stage 1 at Dover, Defending champion Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Danny Hamlin, Stenhouse, Ryan Blaney, Chase Elliott, Matt Kenseth, and Jamie McMurray. The drivers eliminated were Ryan Newman, Austin Dillon, Kurt Busch, and Casey Kane. This weekend, the Cup Series begins the round of 12 with 500 miles at Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm expecting Martin Truex Jr. to win the race and lock himself into the next round, just like he did at the last 1.5-mile track in Chicago. In the NASCAR Xfinity Series, which is the lower tier series as part of NASCAR's ladder, Ryan Blaney won at Dover and prevented Justin Allgaier from locking himself into the round of eight. William Byron also did very well in Dover with a third place finish. The bottom four will be eliminated in Charlotte this Saturday. The drivers in danger currently are Jeremy Clements, Blake Cook, Michael Annette, and Brendan Gaughan. Ryan Reed is only in eighth by two points, so an outstanding performance is critical for him in these next 300 miles. And finally, in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Ben Rhodes spectacularly defended first place against playoff rival Christopher Bell to win his first career truck race in the number 27 Thor Sport Racing Toyota Tundra. He also locked himself into the round of six. The current round will end at the Talladega Super Speedway on October 14th, and the two drivers in danger are John Hunter Nemechek and Kaz Grala. Austin Sindrick is only eight points to the good side in sixth place, which counts for very little at the most unpredictable track in NASCAR. And that's it for NASCAR Playoff News. Coming up is a new segment called The Future of Motorsport. And now it's time for a new regular segment on the show, The Future of Motorsport. In weeks where I don't have a full-length interview, I'll take a look at where different divisions of the sport are headed. This is personally relevant to me because as an engineer studying to work in motorsport, I want to know just where the industry is going, especially since the future plans of these motorsports are set to play out at the beginning of my own engineering career after I graduate from UC Irvine. For today's segment, let's look at the first racing series I ever followed and the most popular series in the United States, NASCAR. NASCAR has come a long way from its first season of the strictly stock series in the late 1940s. 
It has gained a long-standing reputation as being the showcase of speed and horsepower for both America's most talented and dedicated race car drivers, as well as the biggest manufacturer brands and models. Currently, Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota field vehicles in all three series. Chevrolet fields the Camaro in the Xfinity series and the Silverado in trucks and announced earlier this year that they will begin fielding the Chevrolet Camaro in the Cup Series next year to replace the SS model. Ford currently fields the Fusion, the Mustang in the Xfinity series, and the F-150 in trucks, while Toyota fields the Camry and the Tundra. These are all some of the most well-known vehicle models in America. If you look at NASCAR's long history, this makes a lot of sense. NASCAR's business model is always derived from the popular saying, race on Sunday, sell on Monday. The cars that won at the track back in those years were almost exactly the same ones you could buy the next day at the dealership. Cars that earn more wins and championships earn the respect, admiration, and dollars of racing fans nationwide. That same mindset continues today. Yet the only connections between the race cars going 200 miles an hour and the ones at the dealership are the body panels. The fuel is specially prepared by Sunoco, and the tires are oval racing slicks by Goodyear. The engine is a naturally aspirated V8, and since when has that been in a Toyota Camry or Ford Fusion? Never, really. Although the body panels are updated almost every year, NASCAR's supposedly stock cars consistently run equipment that is several decades behind the current passenger car standards. I have to concede that safety is NASCAR's number one priority, which is primarily why the only production-style car you'll ever see on the track is the pace car. But NASCAR continues to fall behind the national trends. Yesterday, I read two press releases that NASCAR should take very seriously. Those press releases came from General Motors, the parent company of Chevrolet, and Ford. These two Michigan-based manufacturers have been the focal point of NASCAR for decades. Originally published Monday, the GM release has a quote that may fundamentally change the future of American stock car racing, or at least long-term manufacturer involvement in stock car racing. General Motors believes in an all-electric future, said Mark Roos. General Motors Executive Vice President of Product Development, Purchasing, and Supply Chain. He says, although that future won't happen overnight, GM is committed to driving increased usage and acceptance of electric vehicles through no-compromise solutions that meet our customers' needs. Ford announced a move in the direction of more electric cars as well, announcing that it'll shift one-third of the money it spends on internal combustion cars to electric car development. This by no means means that Chevrolet and Ford will completely rid themselves of the internal combustion engine, not even close. But there's a significant opportunity here. The Formula E championship has already pounced upon the growing interest in electric cars worldwide, and after just three seasons, it has successfully attracted Germany's big four manufacturers, Audi, Porsche, BMW, and Mercedes. So what if NASCAR put together a competition for electric race cars? Fans of the Camping World Truck Series may recognize that very question from the very beginning of the series in the early 1990s, when the trucks were featured in exhibition races, and they were built using a truck body on a cup car chassis, and that was developed by Gary Collins and off-road truck racers Frank Vessels, Jim Venable, Dick Lanfield, and Jimmy Smith. The exhibition races showed the manufacturers of that time an opportunity to promote their trucks on the national stage. The Truck Series is now a major piece of NASCAR's identity, and ladder system to the Cup Series. Now, one more thing to consider is that no one has ever, to my limited knowledge as a fan, put an electric battery and motor in a stock car chassis before. There are difficult safety and engineering challenges still to overcome, 
and electricity can only power cars at high speeds for a very short time, nowhere near the 200 miles per hour the cup cars get with a 358 cubic inch V8 engine. There are so many factors to consider, and that's why my goal with this short piece is to simply ask you to think about the direction NASCAR should go in the next 20 years. Should NASCAR retain connections with manufacturers as the transitional electric automotive era begins? Or should it cast itself as more of an original and traditional motorsport where V8 ICE engines are the exception, not the Norman car propulsion? That is a huge question NASCAR will have to face, maybe not next year, but in the next five to 10 years as the manufacturer's interests change. Now it's time for Formula One news. Here to give his report on the Malaysian Grand Prix is Speedway Sound's F1 analyst and UCI mechanical engineering student, Tristan Cortez. Thanks, Noah. After the disaster that was the Singapore Grand Prix for Scuderia Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel, with both cars being taken out on lap one, the Scuderia and Sebastian Vettel had a lot of work to do heading into the 19th and final Malaysian Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel fell 28 points behind Lewis Hamilton after the Singapore Grand Prix. Ferrari looked on the pace throughout all three practice sessions, but their charge would falter after Sebastian Vettel reported loss of power towards the end of FP3. He reported that he felt no turbo. He quickly went back to the pits so the team could solve the issue. The team decided to replace the power unit Sebastian Vettel had with an older one to get the car ready for qualifying. The mechanics did a top job getting the car ready for qualifying, and it seemed like Sebastian Vettel would be in with a shot to challenge Lewis Hamilton for that coveted pole position. However, on Sebastian Vettel's outlap, he reported the same issue with the loss of power. He quickly went back to the pits to see if the mechanics could do anything to get him out on track to contest for the pole position. Unfortunately, that time never came as Ferrari decided not to release Sebastian Vettel to save the engine and do well in the race. So Sebastian Vettel would start last on the grid and have a lot of work to do to salvage his title hopes. The top 10 qualifiers were Lewis Hamilton on pole, Kimi Raikkonen in second, the two Red Bulls of Verstappen and Ricardo third and fourth respectively, Mercedes Valtteri Bottas in fifth, Esteban Ocon of Force India sixth, Stoffel Van Dorn of McLaren Honda seventh, Nico Hulkenberg of Renault eighth, Sergio Perez of Force India ninth, and Fernando Alonso of McLaren tenth. At the start of the race, the problems for Ferrari seemed to be getting worse, as Kimi Raikkonen reported an issue with power delivery as well. His car was wheeled off to the pits to see if he could start from the pit lane. Unfortunately, Ferrari diagnosed the issue as terminal, so Kimi Raikkonen would not be able to challenge Lewis Hamilton for the win or help his teammate in the Drivers' Championship and the title race. At the start, it was a clean getaway by Lewis Hamilton who fended off the charging Red Bulls of Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo. Into turn one, the Mercedes of Valtteri Bottas did a move around the outside of Daniel Ricciardo to gain position three. He also tried to jump Max Verstappen but could not make the move stick as Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen went side by side into turn two. Lewis Hamilton fended off the charging Dutchman and maintained the lead. On lap four, Max Verstappen, with brilliant pace, made a diving move down the inside of turn one of Lewis Hamilton to take the lead of the Malaysian Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton, having the title on his mind, decided to not put up too much of a fight and thought about the bigger picture. After that, Max Verstappen created a sizable gap and controlled the race from there. Meanwhile, Sebastian Vettel was charging through the field, and after strapping on his set of super softs in the first pit stop, he set fastest lap after fastest lap, overtaking cars left and right, trying to salvage his title hopes. 
At the end of the race, Max Verstappen took a commanding win and took his second win of his F1 career. Lewis Hamilton finished in second place with Danny Ricciardo finishing the podium and taking a double podium for Red Bull, their first double podium of the season. Sebastian Vettel fought back brilliantly to score fourth. Valtteri Bottas fifth, who was off the pace all weekend, 56 seconds behind the leader. Sergio Perez of Force India sixth. Mustafa Van Dorn of McLaren seventh. The two Williams drivers of Lance Stroll and Felipe Massa eight and ninth respectively. And rounding out the top ten was Esteban Ocon for Force India, who had an adventure race with the spin and sliding off track, but battled back to score the last points position. An unusual incident that happened on the cooldown lap was an incident involving the Williams of Lance Stroll and the Ferrari of Sebastian Vettel. At turn 11, both drivers were picking up rubber and they collided with each other, Sebastian Vettel's rear being completely destroyed. Initial worries were whether Sebastian Vettel's gearbox was damaged and if he'd had to replace it and receive a 5-place grid penalty in Japan. However, the Scuderia and Sebastian Vettel could breathe a sigh of relief after reports saying that the gearbox was undamaged. So heading into Japan, Sebastian Vettel still has a shot at challenging Lewis Hamilton and keeping his title aspirations alive. Heading into Suzuka, a very power-sensitive circuit, it is unclear which of the three top teams, Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari, will have the upper hand. Mercedes look to be off the pace in Malaysia, with Red Bull and Ferrari looking like the better cars out on track. However, with that Mercedes power behind them, they could prove to be the ones to be in Japan. The Red Bulls and Ferraris have competent cars as well, and with the especially twisty nature of Sector 1 in Japan, could gain a lot of time on the Mercedes. It looks like it will be a thrilling race between all three top teams, and Ferrari could count on Red Bull Racing to get in the mix and keep some points away from the Mercedes boys. Back to you, Noah. Thanks, Tristan Cortez, and I look forward to this weekend's Japanese Grand Prix. Now for news from the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. This Saturday is the season finale for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at the 20th anniversary running of the Petit Le Mans 10-hour race at Road Atlanta in Brasselton, Georgia. For UC Irvine Aerospace Engineering student Matt McMurray, he trades the wheel of his Algar Pro Racing Liget with the Park Place Motorsports Porsche 911 GT3. It'll be his fourth and final race of the season in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, driving in the Grand Touring Daytona class, as he is the third driver specifically for the North American Endurance Championship rounds. Earlier this year, he raced in the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring, and the Salen 6 Hours of the Glen. Matt and his teammates Jörg Bergmeister and owner-driver Patrick Lindsay are racing for two different titles this weekend. First is the Grand Touring Daytona Championship for drivers. Patrick Lindsay is only one point behind Acura drivers Catherine Legg and Andy Lally for fourth place, and nine points behind Jans Kleeman and the Turner Motorsport BMW. In the team's championship, Park Place is also fifth in the team standings and can challenge Michael Shank racing with Kerr Bagajanian for fourth and Turner for third. He also has to defend fifth from the number 57 Stevenson Motorsports Audi and the Paul Miller Racing Lamborghini team. The other set of championships, as I mentioned, is under the NAEC, the North American Endurance Championship, and that focuses only on Daytona, Sebring, Watkins Glen, and Road Atlanta. 
The point system is different and causes Park Place to be tied for 12th place in Grand Touring Daytona with six other teams. Overall, the Scuderia Corsa team leads the NAEC by one point over the Riley Motorsports Mercedes team and by three points over the number 86 Acura Michael Shank Racing team. And in the regular season, Scuderia Corsa also has the lead by 26 points over the Riley Mercedes. In GT Le Mans, the number three Corvette team leads by 19 points over the number 67 Ford GT and by 20 points over the number 25 BMW Team Rahal Letterman-Lanigan. In the NAEC, the number 911 Porsche team leads by 2 over the number 66 Ford GT and by 8 over both the number 67 Ford and the number 3 Corvette. In prototype, the Wayne Taylor Racing Cadillac team with driving brothers Ricky and Jordan Taylor has had an absolutely outstanding season and all they need to do is drive the minimum time to claim the top class season championship over the Whalen Engineering Cadillac and the Mustang Sampling Racing Cadillac, both from Action Express Racing. The NAEC is still up for grabs with the Mustang Sampling Cadillac leading by two points over the Wayne Taylor Racing Team. In news, Team Penske will be the surprise guest at the Petit Le Mans party by entering late in an Orica for IndyCar drivers Juan Pablo Montoya, Simon Pagano, and Elio Castroneves. For Castroneves, this officially kicks off a career transition from full-time racing in IndyCar to sports car racing, as Elio Castroneves will only compete in the Grand Prix of Indianapolis and the Indianapolis 500-mile race in IndyCar next year. That's it for this week on Speedway Sounds. Follow the show at Speedway Sounds, all one word, on both Facebook and Twitter for show previews and your opportunity to ask my guests a question. Next week on the show, take a listen here. Petit Le Mans driver and 2017, 24 hours of the Nürburgring winning GT driver Connor Filippi will be on the show to discuss his drive in this weekend's Petit Le Mans in the Monoplast by Land Motorsport Audi, in the GT Daytona class, and to preview next weekend's eight hours of California at Mazda Raceway Laguna Seca. Also, for this weekend's race in Red Atlanta, you're welcome to use the hashtag AnteatersInRacing whenever we're talking about motorsport here on the UC Irvine campus. Coming up next, to begin the later morning's music programming, is Sounds of Rich Mahogany with DJ Lilsdell here on KUCI. I'm Noah Stein, and thank you so much for listening to me talk about my lifelong passion this morning. I hope you'll always wear a helmet and never ever drive distracted or under the influence. And please, always wear your seatbelt. You're listening to Speedway Sounds on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. See you next Thursday morning. I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. And Peter Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1.